Goody, hello, listeners. I'm tempted to say good evening. By the time you'll get this out, it'll probably be like 6.30, 7 o'clock. This week's episode, it'll be me and my good friend James Roxburgh talking about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who is, in our view, one of the greatest American presidents they ever had. We'll be looking at the backstory of FDR, so his upbringing, polio, the New York governorship. We'll be looking at the 32 election. We'll be looking at the New Deal. We'll be looking at the second New Deal and even a third New Deal. because There was reprisals in the late 30s. And then we'll be looking at the handling of the Second World War. And here he comes. Let's go. Right, let's do this, James. Hello, Derek. Hello, hello again. Right, notes are fully prepared. Yes, the notes Anyways, right, I can screen share this. Okay, good, good. Good. Right. So that's all of FDR's reforms. So, um, just to briefly outline to the good listeners who Franklin Delano Roosevelt is. Franklin Delano Roosevelt is the he's a pre- was the president of the United States between 1933 and 1945, having won four elections for the Democratic Party. In fact, the only president who's ever won four elections for any party. Uh, yep. Most notable for doing the New Deal, things like the Public Works Administration, things like the Social Security, you know, the GI Bill of Rights in 1944, um, and of course, things like the Agricultural Adjustment Act, which basically stabilised the farming prices, restabilised the banking community through Glass-Steagall, and of course, winning America the Second World War. Now, let's look at his upbringing, because Roosevelt was a very much of a wealthy person. His family were wealthy. His mother, Sarah Roosevelt, was, of course, uh, 27 years younger than her father, than her, than her husband was. But Roosevelt had very much of a carefree upbringing, didn't he? Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't really looked after. Well, he wasn't looked after, but he wasn't, like, he wasn't like monitored every four seconds. No, exactly. It, it was very much of a, you know, especially the more he got older, you had Roosevelt from going to boarding school, you had Roosevelt mm-hmm. with going to these elitist societies, and, you know, who did he marry? He married Eleanor Roosevelt, who was a cousin of Theodore Roosevelt, the former president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt was, uh, 1905 to 1909, I think he was president of the United States, between, and arguably one of the most liberal presidents they've ever had, things like uh, the Environmental Conservation Act, any child labour, you had the monetary gains, and also when he, of course, created the Progressive Party in 1912, when he ran as a separate party in 1912, T-R did. And of course, when, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt was very reclusive, very didn't want to talk, and Franklin Roosevelt was very much that same. So there were two people of the same strength. Then, of course, FDR became Secretary of the Navy in 17... I'm going to out for the good listeners. I'm outlining his backstory and we're going to go more comprehensively into the New Deal and the, and the Second World War. Uh, Secretary of the Navy, where well, he wasn't really mind by Woodrow Wilson, but mind you, Woodrow Wilson's the same person who said Birth of a Nation was a tragic yet true film. So I won't take any lectures from him or anything. He runs for the vice presidency in 20. He gets crushed by Warren Harding, who wins for the Republicans on an absolute landslide. I mean, for the good listeners, Warren Harding was an idiot for a president, not my words, those are Republican words. And yet he won 404 uh, four out of 400, out of four, 531 electoral votes. Mm. So then, of course, FDR is stricken with polio. I mean, about that story was, of course, it was overnight you were stricken with polio. Yeah. 
happened whilst he fell asleep that his legs became uh, he suffered from a condition called infantile paralysis which was polio and obviously he couldn't go down the stairs and he said his worst fear was fire and he showed infamously how he could crawl across the room he was just anyway um so then FDR then invests his fortune into a, a third fortune into the Warm Springs. You're the Warm Springs, George Avenue, that whole yeah. sea resort where basically it had these 90 degree heat waters, which used to soothe your legs. Obviously it didn't work, but it gave the feeling of, of patients healing. I mean, there's a thing called the Warm Springs Crutch in America. It's called the Warm Springs Crutch, crutches that came from Warm Springs, Georgia. And FDR, has practically rebuilt that place. And it's actually a lot of FDR's political knowledge has come from when, for example, he would drive around because he developed a system of hand crutches where he could just yeah. car around and he would drive and he talked to people who would, in the South, remember the South in the 1920s was dirt poor. Everyone thinks that the, the 20s in America was this boom era of everyone was loving it. Well, some were, especially in the Northeast. But if you go into the West Country or if you go into the South, yeah. You know, farmers were dirt poor practically. Pretty much, yeah. It was, yeah. It was there. It was there. It's the opposite of Britain during Margaret Thatcher, really. Yeah, it was. It was a symmetry of Britain. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, very true. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was you Oh, yes, I got you. Mean, yeah, South yeah, Okay, but it's true though because the South was dirt poor. You know, the, yeah. the farm subsidies weren't there. That came with the New Deal, and they weren't producing crops because, of course, the surpluses they produced during World War One were no longer required. So farming should put out. And since farming was, of course, a big part of the southern United States and the western United States, that had gone. Really, the boom when you experienced in uh, Michigan, Ohio, New York, and Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania experienced the boom. And Illinois did. Most experienced bust in the 20s. Yeah. But FDR had developed knowledge on electricity, on how the higher bills there, the water bills, etc., on the poverty in the South, and that actually influenced a lot of his thinking. So, yeah. 28, he nominates Al Smith before the convention, though it was deemed, it was in the same way that Jack Kennedy did in 1956 with um, Adley Stevenson. I think it was Estes Kefauver, and it was Adley Stevenson, Kennedy nominated, and that made Kennedy a forerunner in the Democratic Party. FDR did it 30 years before, where he gave the Happy Warriors speech, it was called. And um, uh, Smith had asked, told FDR you should run for governor in New York. And he was asked why. And he said, because he'll be dead within one year. So FDR does run for governor in New York after suffering from years of polio. And he still, by the way, does suffer from polio. You know, yeah. polio never goes away. It's just he learns how to cope with it better. For example, there's a thing where he, uh, he ties onto his son's arm and he goes like that with a crutch. And it actually looks like if you watch some of the inauguration footage of Franklin Roosevelt's president in 33, it looks like he's walking. It was a master illusion. Yeah. Anyway, he wins in 28 by, I mean, there were 4.2 million votes casted. FDR won by 25,000. Mm. It was 48.9 to 48.3. FDR only yeah. carried five counties in the state of New York, but they were popular counties in terms of there were lots of people in them. You had Long Island, uh, New York City, etc. Anyway, um, so Roosevelt won the governorship, and Roosevelt was a conservative. It's very important to know this mm. that whilst Roosevelt did do things like tax relief for farmers, he did do things like state funding for schools, and did do things like direct welfare payments to the poor. When the Wall Street crash happened in 29, Roosevelt said the economic soundness of the economy the, what was it the structural soundness of the economy cannot be doubted. Yeah, 
It definitely could be. <laughs> Not his brightest moment there. Um, <laughs> but in fairness to him, he clocked it. He clocked it, right? And yeah. they weren't Democrats. Democrats didn't, those Democrats didn't actually clock what had happened in, by like 30, 31. You still have Democrats like the Speaker of the House, John Nance Garner, who said Hoover was a socialist. You still have people like T.P. Gore, uh, Thomas, Thomas Gore, who's a Democrat from Ohio, a Democrat from Oklahoma called T.P. Gore, who uh, believed totally in private philanthropy. So they weren't, Demo- you know, Republicans had clocked it. Republicans were a left-wing party and Democrats were the right-wing party for a time. FDR flipped politics around that, in that way. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Franklin then goes to the White House dinner in 31, The because, gov- of course, the president has a governor's dinner every year, yeah. and he fell into his chair. He fell into his chair, and a guy said, why is that man think he can be president? He's only a half man. Not very kind. Not very kind. Not, yeah, not very kind Anyway, but uh, it was a good governor in New York. And incidentally, actually, by 32, there was no other... Pe- I mean, there were there was a long ballot. It was five days long, the conventions and the balloting. Okay, it wasn't as bad as 1924 when there were 110 ballots for the nominee. Like the French elections. <laughs> <laughs> it is like the French elections. 110 ballots it took to get John W. Davis, who still got crushed by Calvin Coolidge in 24. But... FDR was nominated on yeah. arguably a right-wing platform. You had things like, what was it? Cut government spending by 25%, cut down the bureaucracy, the government agencies by 50% and balance the budget. Yeah. That would be called nowadays a Republican Party platform. That was Democrats. It was when FDR was asked about the New Deal in the 32 election, he told journalists, shh, into your line, you? shut up, shut up. I don't want to know about the New Deal. He, he, he was very vague about the New Deal. But... Yeah. How did he get labor unions on side? Because he can say, look at what the one few states that didn't suffer from the depression. New York. Yeah. New York. Yeah. It was. Because FDR took very good, strong government action in the in 3031. So New York had but, less of a bad effect. And you would and you would think that New York at all would be the most affected because that's where the financial center of the world was at the time. Correct, but you you know a lot of the if you look at you know Clem Attlee, who was Labour's PM in forty five, said a lot of his ideas came from his experience in Limehouse, which is a, a part of London. I'd argued a lot of FDR's ideas came from Warm Springs, Georgia, and New York. Yeah. Anyway, so FDR of course crushes Herbert Hoover, and when I say crushes Herbert Hoover, Herbert Hoover, the incumbent president of the United States, won five out of forty eight states. FDR won forty three. Yeah. There was a wire sent from one of Hoover's advisors to Hoover say, vote for Roosevelt and make it unanimous. You know. <laughs> and thing about Herbert Hoover was, is that Herbert Hoover was not a bad man. Oh. You have to remember, he was the only president, except for Donald Trump, that has never held a political job. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Never held elected office. But... Herbert Hoover was known as the great humanitarian for what he did in 1927 with the Dust Bowl. He knew it for the Soviets by giving them eat, by giving them uh, grain in, by solving the grain embargo. He was a man who once met Adolf Hitler and came up to him and screamed in his face that you're an absolute fiend and a scoundrel and go and rot in hell. You know, Hoover was a very good man, but no Republican would win the dep- from the Depression. And Herbert Hoover did say there is nothing we can do. 
Yeah. Advisors sitting sitting with Hoover is like sitting with, in a bath full of ink. And writer wants to write Herbert Hoover saying, if you gave Herbert Hoover, Hoover a rose, it would just wilt away. So, like it would just die in his hand. So, yeah. Roosevelt won. And certainly, if you look at some of the Republican states, you know, South Carolina, which is now safe Republican territory, FDR won 98.0% of the vote. Alabama, safe Republican, 84%. Texas, 88%. Tennessee, oh no, Tennessee's not reliable. Still, if the always 60%. Arkansas, 85%. Florida, 74%. You know, Oklahoma, 73%. States which go Republican loyally now were at the time so Democratic. I mean, look at South Carolina, a state that goes 98.5% for you. Can you see the vote share of that? How many votes they yeah. actually got? So we'll, we'll look at 32 first in South Carolina. 32, first of all, he carries every county in the state. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt, 102,347 votes. Herbert Hoover, 1,978. There are little people standing for what, standing to be councils in Britain who got more votes than that. I mean, if you look again, right? Wait, 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 wait. I mean, look at 36, okay? Ch- Calhoun County is my favourite county. Calhoun County. Franklin Roosevelt, 821 votes. Alf Landon, this is 1936. One. Who is that one person? <laughs> <laughs> it's like here as well, Edgefield County. Oh, no, 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 Edgefield County. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt, 1,304 votes. Alf Landon, 1936. One. And this, of course, uh, Horry County, great county, Franklin Roosevelt, 2,927 votes. Alf Landon, zero. And it gets better. Lancaster County. Franklin Roosevelt, 2,631. Landon, nil. And, you know, if we look at, you know, if we're going to be fair to Alf Landon, right, we want to see the most votes he got in a county in South Carolina, 1936. It was 400. I can compare that to um, Franklin uh, FDR. FDR's vote. Well, I mean, if you want to look at in, 30, that, in the same county, oh, they don't have 32 county by county breakdown. More the folly, more the folly. What you want to look at the lowest FDR vote? Yeah, the lowest FDR vote. Lowest Make FDR vote in South Carolina was 92%. <laughs> and the highest, he got 100% in two counties and he scored 99% in, oh my God. <laughs> One, two, three, six, nine, 12. 15, 18, oh God, 21, 23 counties. FDR scored 99% of the voting out of <laughs> 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. So out of 41 counties, 23 of them. Gave FDR over 99% of the vote. And 39 of them gave FDR 97% of the vote. Perfectly democratic election there. Definitely not rigged. No, definitely not rigged. But if you look at New York in 32, right? New York, 32. The Herbert Hoover had won the state by two points. FDR won it by 12. If you look, say, you know, Missouri, where Herbert Hoover won it by 11 points, Roosevelt won it by 30 points. So it was a huge swing. Look at California. 
Hoover won it by 30. FDR won it by 21 percentage points. Look at, uh, wait, what's the safest Republican state? Oh, bugger it. Pennsylvania. Herbert Hoover won it by 31. That's one of the, Herbert Hoover won it by five. I mean, if you want to look at Wisconsin, nine, 32. Look at Wyoming, 28, 15. So there was a massive translational shift in 32. Yeah. You know, FDR had campaigned on the new vision. It was famous on October 28th, 1932, the week before the election. He said, I used to talk about uh, going to when, if I go to Washington next March, March next. I am no longer saying if, I'm saying when. So, because he, he knew it. Everybody knew Herbert Hoover had lost the election when the Wall Street crash right? Now, what did he do with his time? First of all, I mean, you got a copy of this, didn't you, James? Yeah, yeah. Right, jolly good. Uh, for the good listeners, when we researched this, we did not put it in chronological order in terms of day by day, but we have done it in the years. So you're not going to have to Google something. We say 33 and then go, oh, God, it's 1939. No, 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 don't worry. It's still in the right structure. It's just not. It's just because his first 100 days were very productive. Yeah. Right, so... You had the Federal Emergency Relief Act. So we're going to do, James, we're going to take this one by one, bullet point by bullet point, okay? So I'll yeah. just give you one, right? So you have FARA, which is the Federal Emergency Relief Act. This was basically what some people regard stimulus aid. It was providing food and shelter and jobs to the poor and unemployed. This was mainly focused for the Midwest, so your Illinois, your Ohio's, your Indiana's, and the South, the Alabamas, the Mississippis, the Tennessees, the South Carolinas, and the industrial like Pennsylvania. This was basically yeah. saying we got to identify who the poor people are. So you basically didn't act where the state governments had to provide databases and who the poor people were. And Franklin Roosevelt said, get them aid. Give them what's required. It was temporary relief. Right? Yeah. Then, of course, you had the banks. Yeah, well, the banks, the fake infamous closing for five days that FBI yeah. said, sort, book your ideas up, he said, basically, to all of them. Um, the federal, it basically, the first £2,500 de- uh, deposit um, were insured to everyone. Um, and then they introduced the Glass-Siegel Act, which regulated banks and ensured that false dealings and mergers couldn't occur. Because at this, at this point in America, there's something like 400 banks, 400 separate banks in America. So mm-hmm. obviously you had to regulate them all. And that's what the uh, Glass-Siegel Act did. And um, with uh, just central regulations and, estab- and it established a Federal Reserve as well, the Glass-Siegel Act did. I mean, FR was genius. Federal Reserve was genius out there. The Federal yes. Reserve, of course, you know, 100 years on, it's still here today, the Federal Reserve. 90, sorry, 90 years on, the Federal Reserve's still here, right? Mm. Glass-Steagall was an act so good that it was there for 66 years. <laughs> until Bill Clinton scrapped it, of all bloody people. Until Bill Clinton scrapped Glass-Steagall, Glass-Steagall had gone through... Roosevelt and Truman and Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson and Nixon and Ford and Carter, even Ronald Reagan kept reauthorized Glass-Steagall and Bush and then Clinton and then Clinton abolished Glass-Steagall for some utterly demented reason that to this day I still haven't comprehended why. But why was Glass-Steagall so effective? In the prime of its prominence between 33 and 81, of 1933 1981, when Glass-Steagall was fully prominent, America had precisely zero financial crisis because of the banks. Not yeah. one. And then after 81, you had 81, 82, 87, 88, 90, 91, 92, 93, 99, 2000, 
2001, 2005, 2008, 2009, 2013, 2015, 2019, 2020, 2021. Basically, a lot. <laughs> Would have been easier to name the years that our financial crisis didn't have. Financial crises, yeah, exactly. But that's because of central government regulation. For example, yeah. banks could not merge. Banks could not merge. You couldn't have what we call now the city mergers. So you couldn't have these big conglomerates. The only way a bank could merge is if Franklin Roosevelt said so. And I do quite literally mean, unless FDR wrote a, saying that's fine, no bank could merge, right? Uh, there was no such thing as financial transactions. They had a 10% tax on financial transactions. Banks could not let, give loans to people with an interest rate of 5%. Right? It was an absolute genius, Bill. And Bill Clinton got rid of it. <laughs> I'll, I'll praise President Clinton for many things. Scrapping Glass-Steagall is not one of them. Anyway, you get the, you get the AAA, which is called the Agricultural Adjustment Act, which had, of course, the New Deal farm subsidies, the same farm subsidies that are still in America to this very moment. No, not, I mean, Ronald Reagan tried to abolish them and he watered them down, but every president has maintained farm subsidies where basically FDR paid money for farmers not to produce things. Yeah. When they used the surpluses, they'd accumulated for the food, for the poor, for the weak, for the children, for the mothers. And that was a very good idea where they had low prices for food. Uh, but of course, you had, you had loans being given to farmers on a 2% interest rate. You had governments backing up farm subsidies. You had governments covering farm costs. So farmers did not go bankrupt in effect. Yeah. That was a genius idea. It was. And then, I mean, after the you had the TVA, exactly, the Tennessee Valley Authority, which, um, which, which was basically the main built reason for the Hoover Dam being built, wasn't it, really? Mm. The Hoover Dam. And basically, it, it was um, using hydroelectric power to produce um, a cheap electricity for the South, all, uh, and also making sure that the South didn't experience the floods and the natural disasters that it was very prone to at the time. Whilst yeah. also providing, whilst also providing good electricity. I mean, it was an absolute masterstroke. I think, I think in my in my ranking, this is the most underrated yeah. policy that FDR did. I think it was one of the. I think it's one of the best policies. I mean, I mean, environmentally, it could be argued maybe displaced a lot of our wildlife. But I mean, I mean, the benefit of the clean energy that you get it, it kind of offsets that. But it was such a good policy, and it just doesn't get appreciated of how benefit it did to the south. Nineteen twenty-four, three in four southern homes did not have electricity. Nineteen thirty-eight, one in ten. Yeah, that just says it all, right? The fact was, is that in today's currency, an average electricity bill under those homes under the Tennessee Valley Authority, which, by the way, it wasn't just Tennessee it covered, it covered the entire South, Kentucky, yeah. Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, they were all covered by the TVA, Indiana, Oklahoma, Texas was covered by the Tennessee Valley Authority. So what happened in today's terms, if the electricity bills, the total energy bills, were about $300 a month in, yeah. today, in today's currency. Back then, it was 10 It was basically the government had said, we're going to create a fixed rate for all energy, for all people to pay electricity bills, 
And if you, yeah. the market, do not like that, the we government will provide you subsidies just to top up the top up your revenues. Yeah. And what happened? Millions of homes in the South got cheap electricity. I mean, you know, we were joking before about South Carolina having rigged elections, but the reason, you know, if, I mean, they probably did, to be honest, any county that has no votes, <laughs> no votes, you know. But that's why, because FDR provided life to these people. Yeah. Right? Why was it, you know, throughout the, the four elections, why did the South stay loyally democratic? Because the South had been regenerated by Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah. A man who once regarded the South as a place for cannibalism had done more to help the South than anybody else. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so why do I want to go to help? Because in 1944, when there was a, a breakaway group called the Dixiecrats, there's a bunch of Southern conservative Democrats. Yeah. And FDR said, why would I want to go and help those cannibals when we're fighting them in the war? But yeah, he had done more to help the South. Through the, I mean, the yeah. TVA still exists. Yeah. It's called Tennessee Valley Public Corporation or something. But it's still, there's, there's a version of it. It still exists to this day. Because every president from Kennedy to Biden, is, sorry, from Roosevelt to Biden is understood. Providing good, cheap, electricity to people is a good thing. That's yeah, very, a lot of the FDR reforms aren't here to this very day, but the, the fundamental ones are still here because they were good. Yeah. I mean, America's only going to stick with the good ones, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're not going to stick with the I mean, let, let, I mean, I mean, most of his most of his policies were good at the time, oh, yeah. but then they weren't needed after. Well, I mean, I mean, most of them were over-scuppered by the war. Yeah, you know, and most WA um, civilian conservation corps they went out because of World War Two. Yeah, and most of her and most of his policies were short term policies. They weren't designed for the long term. They were designed yeah. to help people as soon as possible, mm. and then whilst whilst they're all being whilst they have a job or whilst whilst they work, we're going to think of a more long term solution. That was the plan of most of them. It was it was the, it was government government the way the government should be. Address the short term problems, and once you've addressed them, and whilst you're addressing them, think of a long term solution. Yeah. But there were things that you know. Look, Gus Steagall was there for sixty years. TVA is to this day day. The farm subsidies are still there. Social security, which will come on to in the second New Deal, is still here to this very day. Yeah. You know, by the time social security expires in twenty thirty four, it would have been around for ninety nine years. So. You know, I mean, they'll have to save social security, but we'll, we'll do an episode on that, how to save social security. Because a courtesy of a man called Dowdley Khan, there's a substack page on how to save social security to bring Republicans and Democrats together. Anyway, on saving it. So you had the homeowners, the homeowners loan corporation. That was a very good idea. This is what Obama should have done in 2009. What it did was it more or less refinanced everyone's mortgage in America. Basically, if you couldn't afford to pay your mortgage because you didn't have any, basically you were poor or you were down to any money, the government paid your mortgage for you. Yeah. The government paid your rent. Until you got a job, we would pay your rent and we'd cover your housing costs so you would not lose your home full stop. And of course, it was a brilliant, it's a genius idea. I mean, you know, homeowners loan corporation was revived in the tree and strengthened the Eisenhower, kept in the Kennedy, kept in the Johnson, strengthened in Nixon, strengthened in the Ford, strengthened in the Carter, and strapped by Ronald Reagan. And a lot of America's domestic failures, I'm going to blame them on Ronald Reagan because he uses for a lot of the failures. But that was a genius idea. It was basically saying to the poor, look, if you're unemployed or if you're poor or you have enough money, we, government, will cover your costs or cover the part of the cost. 
the thing, the thing about this is that yeah. people would say, why should the government pay for your house? It's your house. You should pay for it. Yeah. But then the argument is, yeah, but they they be they become unemployed yeah. because of some because of some bankers not yeah. knowing how to do the job properly. It's ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't their fault that the stock market crashed. It wasn't their fault that all these businesses came out of business. But yet they've been affected by it. And yet, and so the government should be helping them. Totally agree. I think that government has to intervene, right? All government. Yeah. I mean, Peter Hitchens explained. There are some people saying, well, I don't want any government at all. I want government scrapped. And he said, so you'd like to abolish the army then? Oh, no, 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 no. Of course you want to abolish the army. No, no, no. You want to abolish the navy? No, no, we don't want to abolish the navy. <laughs> oh, so you believe in government? Or that government? Oh, I see. So you don't want to do any trade with any countries? No, of course we want trade. Of course. Oh, and he goes, so what government are you against? And he goes, well, uh, entitlement. So he goes, I see you're against providing money to the poor. No, no, of course we're not against providing money to the poor. And Hitchens then says, so what, so what government are you opposed to then? And he goes, well, government. I mean, you might think this is Michael Cellino being cloned for we know, but, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I very much adopted Peter Hitchens' thesis on government, which is that once you accept you can have a navy and a military and trade with other nations, then because you violated the principle, the means are irrelevant. How far yeah. government expands is irrelevant because you've already you've already violated, as Chairman Mao said, once you've violated the principle, the means are irrelevant, right? It's, it's irrelevant. As long, obviously, you don't want to start taking houses off people, doing civil forfeiture or things like that. But, okay, let me give you a more contemporary example. When the government accepted they can pay people's wages, then we can accept that we can pay people's food bills or electricity bills or housing costs. Once you violate the principle of individual subsidies, you violate the the means are gone. That's why, of course, I, I mean, I... I mean, I mean, people at my new podcast have now for 14 weeks and I am a centrist, but I do absolutely admire Franklin Roosevelt. Mm. If I didn't have a photo of Keir Starmer on my wall, I'd have a photo of FDR on my wall. Anyway, but yeah, Homeowners Loan Corporation was a genius scheme. Um, yeah. That's why, of course, repossession rates were about 1% until the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, even it's, when- again, it's, it's, con- it's continuing his legacy, isn't it? Yeah, even when Nixon devolved it to the states, the uh, basically the home owners grants to the states, or the state governments could provide money to local people, and then the states give it to local communities. When the state or local governments ran out of money, the federal government would just put more money into them. Yeah, as it were, so re, uh, renew the grant. So therefore, no one ever went out. It was a very genius scheme under uh, FDR. Anyway, uh, there were further genius schemes, weren't there, James? Yes, there was. Um, he he got rid of prohibition. Yes, and, he did. Um, which, well, and prohibition for people who don't know, was basically the banning of sale uh, of, alcohol. of alcohol. And um, he had a famous quote, he had a famous quote, um, which was, I'm what all... America needs now is a drink. Mm. <laughs> and we all have a drink. I mean, the prohibition had led to Al, Al Capone, it led to booze yeah. bunkers. I mean, they're not called booze bunkers, but I called them yeah. that five years ago, and it's still hilariously good for me. Booze bunkers. Um, it led to a lot of law-breaking prohibition. Uh, 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 it even led to a lot of poisoning technically as well for the moonshine as well that people have moonshine because the government uh the government put the chemical well, chemicals into the stuff that into the greens that we used to make moonshine which was uh, in a way prohibition shows two things a why you can't ban things in america because people will find so many ways of getting around yeah. it 
Um, but B, it shows the overtures of government in a way that when you start restricting the sale of daily goods, then you're in trouble. But yeah. instantly, prohibition had been proposed by Woodrow Wilson in 1919 and then enhanced by the Harding administration the year after. But this was a Democrat idea proposed by Republicans. But prohibition was scrapped, raised about 15 billion from the American economy, very good scheme. Then you had FHA, which is known as the Federal Housing Administration under Franklin. This yeah. was another absolutely marvelous idea. Because what it was, was the local state government, the federal government would say to each state, on the basis of your land and the basis of your plots and the basis of your income, we expect you to build this many homes every year. And yeah. if they couldn't, then they'd say, well, what do you need? Do you need people? Do you need money? Do you need resources? What do you need? That every year they'd have to build more homes. You saw yeah. on average about 180,000 homes were built under, under the FHA. Mm. Per state often. I mean, yeah. this went on again through the Nixon era, through the Ford era, kicked out by Ronald Reagan. Well, I mean, technically Reagan wanted, I mean, technically FHA still exists to this day, federal housing, because no matter, no matter how hard Jack Kemp has tried, we never privatized public housing in America. No. I mean, we'll talk about Jack Kemp later, but he was a very big bastion of privatizing public housing. He's another very complicated American politician. I mean, are all American politicians complicated? Yeah, but Kemp is in, is in a league of his own, actually. Him and um, LBJ in a link of their own complicatedness, in my view. Um, but yeah, FHA was a genius idea Roosevelt did. Then we move on to the CCC. Yeah, the, the Civilian Con uh, Conservation Corp. Mm. I mean, it provided 2.5 million young men with, uh, with jobs to conserve the natural environment, basically, in the USA. Um, however, it, I mean, it, it wasn't one of the most popular things that FDR did, the CCC. No. Um, I mean, it was it was linked to being... It, it was uh, new people uh, liking it to the Hitler Youth uh, over in Germany. And, uh, however, FDR said it shows the dignity of work. Uh, which um, and it provided and it provided uh, 2.5 million uh, young men, young people, uh, with jobs. So, but I mean, it still wasn't popular in the fact that it did Lincoln people. It did. You all had to wear uniforms. You all had to, and it, people did liken it to the Hitler Youth, which I think was a major reason for its unpopularity. But then uh, it was found unconstitutional two years later. It was. It was found unconstitutional two years later as well. Yeah. Which, which, and then, and then you got the. Public Work Administration. Do you want to talk about that, though? I mean, the PWA was utterly hilarious. After the CCC was found unconstitutional by the um, Supreme Court of the United States, FDR just said, fine, you want to find my unconstitutional? Fine, I'll just create an exact same programme, the exact same ideas with a different name. Find that unconstitutional. Go on then, right? I mean, the PWA was, in, in effect, a more upgraded form of the Civilian Conservation yeah. Corps because... It, for example, all jobs had union contracts, all jobs had collective bargaining, all jobs had the right not to be sacked without just defence, right? And whilst the CCC had created things like 3,000 hospitals, 2,500 schools, um, the PWA had seen the creation of bridges, seen the creation of roads, it was a massive infrastructure development, right? The PWA, with, working with the National Recovery Administration, had led to things like the basic level of minimum wage. It had led to the abolition of child labour, which the Supreme Court also found unconstitutional. So that, that's why I say to them on that one. Um, 
you know, uh, but that's the thing. So this was a lot part of the first New Deal because, of course, when the Supreme Court gutted the New Deal, they created the second New Deal, and that led to the Public Works Administration, led to Social Security, etc. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and then uh, you also had the National Recovery Administration, which um, which basically unions had the right to collective bargaining. I mean, that was which, a genius idea. It was. I mean, it, it, for those who don't know, it was allowing the unions into the private sector. Yeah. And um, you said to the private sector, you want to make your profits, you want to make your wages, absolutely go for it, 100% fine. Yeah. But you're going to treat your workers with dignity. And I think yeah. when you look at things like collective bargaining or the NRA, as we called it, right, it was worked on a very much of a lib center left principle. The idea that we accept private enterprise, we accept private people making lots of money, but you will treat your workers with respect. And, you know, the NRA was, of course, scrapped with, with, the, with the Constitution. They had the Wagner Act, which basically revived the National Recovery Administration. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to find a clip of Mr. Gorbadal explaining um, uh, the, the FDR. But whilst we're talking about that, you had the second New Deal, which was uh, FDR's way of basically telling the Supreme Court, what do you mean you want to find my stuff unconstitutional? Fine, I'll just replace it with more stuff that I like. He just changed the name, basically. It's all he ever did was just change the name. He just said, fine, you know, you know what? You you want you want to now decide to make my laws, my ideas, my my future unconstitutional, go for it. Then watch me make your life miserable. Um, but you had, you know, the crazy creation of the greatest American program ever, Social Security. Now, yeah. everyone thinks the SSA, Social Security, is just about the elderly. Well, it is, but you also had it for the disabled. You also had it for the poor. You know, he famously said, you know, the poor have rights too. And yeah. this was a man who in 1920 had said that only private philanthropy is the most acceptable form of charity. So FDR did evolve in his political thinking, I'd argue. And, you know, I love this clip. Just one second. It's Vidal explaining the liberals. It's utterly hilariously good. Come on. I said without liberals, we'd have no social security. That was a liberal act of 1935 from Roosevelt and Congress. Without the liberal Roosevelt, we would never have had the GI Bill of 1945, which gave a whole new class of citizens to America. Everybody could be educated. College. I mean, the GI Bill of Rights, we'll come on to the GI Bill of Rights. That was a massive, massive thing because yeah. working class people who basically said, no, you know, working class white people, working class black people, and FDR had given them what the GI Bill rights were basically the right to a free education, the right to a job, the right to a basic minimum income, the right to a pension, and that was voted for unanimously, the GI Bill yeah. rights. Now, you know, infamously, FDR did the G uh, LBJ did another GI Bill of Rights for the Vietnam War veterans. Um, Herbert Walker did the same thing. George Herbert Walker, the Bush, did the same thing. Uh, George Bush didn't do one, incidentally, for the Iraq War veterans. I wonder why. Wonder why. Shock. Um, but uh, that was a brilliant act, the GI Bill of Rights. But anyway, but that's what about liberalism is that liberalism has done amazing things. And social security, you know, say what you want about it. The fact is this first of all, its administrative costs are 2%, right? Life insurance firms their administrative costs have reached 45%. Secondly, 
yes, it offers a smaller benefit than the than life insurance do. That's because social security benefits have not been upgraded now for nearly a decade. And they're all fundamentally, they've only been indexed to inflation. Yeah. Thirdly, it's been politically tainted with you have Democrats and Republicans that don't get the system anymore and think somehow raising the retirement age is going to solve it. No, you have to raise taxes to fix the system. Yeah. Only taxing, I mean, we'll do an episode on how to save the system with social security, but we'll do an episode on that. But it was an absolute genius system that is so genius that FDR created it and Ronald Reagan saved it. It was the only domestic good thing Ronald Reagan ever did, for heaven's sake, where him, the Democrat Speaker Tip O'Neill and Republican Senator Dr. Leader Howard Baker had worked to save Social Security. But it's gone through every president since FDR. Not even Donald Trump wanted to end Social Security. Yeah. That's the time. Exactly. time. God, um, Sorry? You say something, James. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. The fact that Donald Trump didn't get rid of it. It just, it just I mean, shows... Reagan. How... Reagan put 50 yeah. years of, 60 years of life into the trust fund, for heaven's sake. That's that. It just, it just shows, it just shows how, how forward thinking FDR was and how ahead of his time he was compared to all the other politicians. The thing about this was, you had people who hated it, right? And I don't just mean Republican right-wing business people who think that the 1820s, where people were working in the steel mills for 19 hours a day and where the poor would be forced to grind in the faces of the poor, and people who think the dark ages were good for capitalism. I'm I'm not talking about those people who don't understand the facts of life and were raised by nannies and have never met a poor person in their life. I'm not not talking about those people. No, 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 no. Uh, We know I hold the Liberty League in contempt. I'm talking about liberals. I'm talking yeah. about people like Father uh, Charles Coughlin, right? Um, who opposed it. I'm talking about Reverend Townsend, who opposed it. You know, wait, I mean, whilst you're talking, I'm going to have to just unshare the screen for two seconds. Okay. Because um, I'm going to find that clip about of Charles Coughlin and Townsend giving speeches. You had Huey Long, for heaven's sake, opposing the New Deal. Because, you know, you know, you had people like that who basically wanted a sort of, you know, Charles Coughlin wanted a guaranteed payment for the elderly. Uh, Townsend, you had Francis Townsend who wanted an old age pension. And you had Huey Long that believed in a system of pay of basically share our wealth. You've had a share our wealth, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Bewildered and frightened, many Americans were drawn to agitators calling for reforms more radical than Roosevelt's. I dare you and challenge you to organize so that the people, if not the president... Father Charles Coughlin, a maverick Catholic priest from Detroit, turned radio into a pulpit from which he blasted the New Deal, demanding a living annual wage nationalization of the banks. Who then is the inflationist? Roosevelt or the National Union? Francis Townsend, a retired California doctor, galvanized millions of supporters by advocating a plan for old age pensions. And Senator Huey Long from Louisiana with his Share Our Wealth program had his eye on the presidency. I mean... The interesting part of those three people was, first of all, Coughlin and Townsend got what they wanted with Social Security. 
Nationalization of the banks was never done. Should it have been done? Don't know. Because there are some who say it would create a more stable banking system, which is true. But Glass-Steagall was kept for 66 years because it was a compromise. And then Huey Long's share of wealth program. Most of that came with the GI Bill of Rights. You know, free education for the veterans who came back, guaranteed yes. payments, guaranteed jobs. A lot of that, the share of wealth initiatives, at least on the domestic front, came with the GI Bill of Rights. So the hatred from the left, because remember, Roosevelt was seen by many as a moderate. He was, yeah. Roosevelt was, you know, everyone looks at now Roosevelt as this firebrand liberal. He was, by our standards, where, you know, someone says, let's help the poor with weekly payments. Oh, you don't believe in work. You know, we live in, a, we live in di- disturbing right-wing times. Well, Roosevelt's time was seen as a moderate. You know, Charles Coughlin, Huey Long, they were seen as the left. You know, uh, William Bora, he was seen as the left. Roosevelt yeah. was seen as the compromise candidate. But let's look at the New Deal methodically here. In four years, unemployment had been cut by a quarter. The Dow Jones Industrial Average had got by 50%. And in 1933, there were 4,000 bank failures. Between 1934, 1935, and 1936, there were 15 bank failures. Yes. You know, you had confidence in, you had famous thing where, for example, there was a story where there was a poster of Roosevelt in a hotel. And a guy had made fun of Roosevelt's hair. They said he wears his hair. And he was booted out of the hotel. He was, get out. He was like, get out. You do not make fun of the president. Get out outside. You know, the, the tradition that you have presidents in the airports, you know, the president photographs in the airports, that had started with yeah. Roosevelt. We cannot undermine the affection and respect that FDR was held in. The fact that if you look at, for example, the Public Works Administration that we talked about, that had a system where people who came up and said, could I please have a job, got a job. The yeah. very next day, not three, four, five weeks. It was literally your skills, okay? You are a 21-year-old lad with some qualifications, likes to go and work in, for example, the, uh, the, the productive manufacturing industry. All right, go to this park at 12 or 9 o'clock tomorrow morning and go and dig some stuff out the ground where we'll put some crops in. That's a genius scheme. Unemployment radically came down in the first term because of FDR. You know, when FDR came around the campaign, you hear people scream, you know, he saved my home, he saved my job. There was a guy put on a, on a wall in Colorado, you know, Roosevelt is my friend and all that. Because that was one of the few times, I'd argue, that was one of the few times in American history where because government had, first of all, because the economy had collapsed into a depression for the third time in 20 years, but because action had been taken, people had revered him. I mean that, that that's completely true, yeah. yeah. I think I think that because because Roosevelt's popularity and because Roosevelt's he wasn't he wasn't a stubborn person. No. That's the whole thing. He if he was stubborn, I'm sure he wouldn't I'm sure he wouldn't have him. He he was he was one of the few presidents who was willing to take on other people's ideas. Yeah. He never I mean there's lots of presidents nowadays. I mean, there's been presidents throughout history. I mean I mean, there's very rarely even get a president that actually takes on board other people's ideas. Yeah, the, I mean, it's called it's referred to as ideological purity. Yeah, the idea oh, that um, everyone. If you're a Democrat, you can only have democratic ideas. If you're a Republican, 
you know yeah. right wing ideas, which is of course complete crap. Yeah, and then and then what happened? And then FDR broke that rule, and then he, he yeah. said, "Oh, there, there are great Republican ideas, and yeah. there are great Democratic ideas. Let's use both of them rather than just use one or the other." I mean, it's famous that you know throughout the New Deal, though the RNC were formally against the New Deal, that's the Republican National Committee. You had at least fifteen to twenty Republican senators and about fifty congressmen back in the New Deal in the early stages. You know, yeah. it was only in thirty-seven with the Supreme Court incident that FDR has crushed himself a bit by basically trying to destroy the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, it, was, it wasn't his brightest moment, but nevertheless, but it was brilliant. You know, things like, you know, the far, the resettlement administration, which basically helped the fa- farmers, which basically was yeah. the government providing subsidies to farmers on low interest rates so that farming economy would be completely bailed out. You know, you had things like the Indian Recognition Act, as you pointed out before, um, which basically did more to help the Native Americans than President since Coolidge did. It provided, allowed the Natives to go to white schools. It allowed the Native Americans to get jobs without discrimination. It allowed self-government in Native American tribal counties. You had things like the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, which, by the way, 90 years on, is still here. The SEC is still there, still regulating banks. It's not as good as it was, was, but it's still doing it. So is it any surprise that by 1936, FDR carries 48 of the 50 states? Okay, yeah, yeah, you are, yeah. 48, 523 of the 531 electoral votes, Roosevelt had won them. Was it 50 states then? Oh, no, sorry, 46 of the 48 states. Because yeah. Alaska and Hawaii had not been part of the Union yet, were they? So 46 yeah. of the 48 states, Roosevelt won them. It was a joke saying, if you go into Vermont or Maine, you're now leaving the United States. I mean, look, we could make some more jokes about South Carolina's voting processes. and But I want to actually look at Texas, because Texas, first of all, was hill country. But second of all, don't underestimate this state, which is now deep-suited Republican territory. You know, Democrats in 1936 won it with 87% of the vote. Right? Alf Landon, the highest vote, Alf Landon, out of Texas, 137 counties, won two. How, um, how, how, big were, were, how many did he win? What percentages? Uh, 62%, 56%. He, won, he, he got in Kendall County, 693 votes to FDR's 405 and 1,421 votes to 1,016 Glasby County. Out of 118 counties, FDR won 116. That is a ringing vote of endorsement. I mean, you know, I mean, first of all, FDR won every county in 32. So who were those two ungrateful sods that suddenly decided to abandon the New Deal? But you got to look every state, states like Wyoming, Dick Cheney's state, right? Democrats yeah. not only won it, they won it by 20 points. Yeah. And virtually every state, Democrats had increased their, their winning. Except the yeah. Iowa's, except basically, except Iowa and South Dakota. Democrats have gone up in every single state of the United States of America. Hmm. So when people say sometimes that, you know, big government's not popular, well, I'll refer you to the 1936 election. Yeah. What's your view on 36? On the 36 election? I think 
I think it just goes to show that everybody did agree with the New Deal. I mean, it was it was such a success. It, eight million new jobs. It gave many US citizens yep. confidence in the government. Uh, the New Deal solved many problems and came up with great solutions for most of them. It gave American Social Security for the first time in history. People over sixty received decent pensions. It it said it so it didn't it didn't really it didn't solve unemployment, no. which, which could be argued because it did awarded, uh, but, but, but it did reduce it, it did reduce it because it, it was nine million and that, and then it was what I think it was two million, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It went from and fifteen then, to nine to two. Yeah, it it didn't it didn't solve it didn't solve all the problems of the Great Depression, but it protected the Americans. From the worst parts of it. Correct. I think personally, um, whilst the New Deal did not solve the depression, it not only stopped the depression, that the American put it this way, this is the analogy of the hill, right? The car had run down the hill because of the Great Depression, because of the Wall Street crash. Yeah. The New Deal had slowly in the first four years taken America up at least half of the hill. Oh no, about 70 from the hill America had gone up because of the New Deal. Um, because by 1936, the economy was back to pre-depression uh, standards. Then the cuts in 37 are taking it back down the hill a bit. And then, of course, with the war, it went fully up and it recovered. Yeah. But without the New Deal, I do not think that the economy would have recovered because the New Deal had laid the framework. I mean, look, right, look at the congressional elections in 34, right? In 1932, let's look at 1932. 1932, the Democrats had won 58 senators, Republicans 37, that's gaining 11 for the Democrats. 1934, the Democrats won 69 senators, gaining nine, Republicans won 25. 1936, the Democrats won 75 senators, Republicans <laughs> won 17. I mean, 75 out of 96. Just look at that. Look at that. What the f- <laughs> Democrats just storming it. If you look at the House of Representatives, you know, go to the House. By the way, Republicans had a lock on Congress until 30. You know, House of Representatives, right? 1930, you had Republicans in control of the House. Well, by two yeah, seats. By 100 seats. Oh, by by two, seats sorry, man. 218 to 216. Then you have uh, the Democrats winning the House totally at 313 to 117. Then you go to 1934. 322 to 103, then 36, 334 to 88. And the House, every seat's up for election in two years. Every seat's re-elected in two years. I mean, if you look at the South, they carry every district in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Florida. If you look at every state, right? Montana, Idaho, Washington, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, uh, West Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Connecticut, you know, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas. You know, Democrats carry not just a district, every congressional district the Democrats control it. And those states are just listed. Republicans do not control, apart from Vermont, they do not control all the state's districts and North Dakota. So, you know, when you in the Congress and you outnumber a party four to one, and you look at yeah. the governors, our 50, our 50 governors in total, Democrats had 38, Republicans had seven. 
Mm. Obviously, you had the Farm and Labour Party, the Progressive Party, and the NPL that got a few governorships. They won 38. So, do you think in the and obviously FDR won 60% of the vote, 523 to 531 electoral votes. So, do you think that can be to a dictator mindset, do you think? I don't think he ever fell into that, apart from when he tried to pack the Supreme Court. We're going to come into that now. But go on. I don't think he fell into a dictatorship mindset because it was elected. You don't feel like a bit of a dictator in yeah. that. You, I would have been. I mean, you, you would, you no, uh, you would think that you have loads of power because you could pass anything you wanted for. Yes. Again, the system of democracy is still there. Well, it's still there, but look, if you're if you got seventy five of ninety six senators, three hundred and thirty seven of four hundred thirty five congressmen, thirty eight of fifty governors. 47 of the 50 state legislatures and 60% of the country voted for you winning 46 of the 48 states. You are going to feel a bit of, I'll lift my finger and everything will just happen. Yeah, you would. Uh, then, of course, the New Deal the New Deal went a bit of stalling because Southern Democrats, who, as we know, are very ungrateful human beings, decided to um, stall the New Deal. After the raw... Yeah. Electrification Act of 36, which basically reunified the South after Robinson Port, which brought in price controls and stock monopolies. They come up with the New Deal Act. They basically do the anti-New Deal coalition 37, which cut the New Deal programs and lo and behold, created a recession. Oh, oh my God. It's like, it's like you can almost figure it that cutting the programs which have taken America out of the depression might put America back into a recession. Wait a second there, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> How? I mean, I mean the, fact, the, the fact that they thought cutting the programme yeah. would help out the economy in any shape, way or form is utterly mind-boggling. The mental. The, Obviously, this was in response to the Supreme Court. Yeah. So SCOTUS, Supreme Court United States, had ruled that the work programme, the CCC, Southern Conservation Courts, National Recovery Administration were courts unconstitutional. So therefore, mm-hmm. FDR created the Work Progress Administration and um, the Wagner Act, which basically yeah. the seat in our again. So Roosevelt, uh, of course, very angry with the Supreme Court, had decided to quite literally pack the court. Now, you've heard this, if you heard this term, viewers, what that means is he wanted to stack the Supreme Court of the United States with only justices that agreed with him. This is where I get my dictatorship. That's the dictatorship mindset. That is literally saying, I do not care who you are. I'm going to stack. You don't agree with me. So bugger you. I'm going to only stack people with who agree with me. So how? What was the plan? This was a bill. It was called the Judicial Process Procedures Reform Bill. Very nicely named bill. They wanted to time limit all judicial time to just one decade. They wanted to kick off all, they wanted to put a time limit of six, age limit of 65 on justices. So basically all the current justices would be booted off the court immediately. You add that. And other provisions. So the president could, for example, boot off a justice whenever he, feel, he felt he fit. So now, obviously, this was because of Black Monday, where the, F- where the New Deal had been gutted. But then, of course, yeah. it was famous that the Supreme Court did rule that the WPA was constitutional, the Work Progress Administration, the Social Security was constitutional. So, in effect, this was the first fight that FDR ever lost. Yeah. We're going to have to finish this about half past six, just to let you know. So we're going to do a bit on the wall, then we're going to close the podcast at half past six, just to let the good listeners know. 
But we are going to have okay. to move. We have to move swiftly onto the war now. Okay. All right. Good. Um. So, that's the second term. It was packing New Deal cuts. But how did FDR win the election in forty? Because in nineteen thirty nine, after the recession was caused because of the New Deal cuts, there's even thick Southern Democrats got through their thick skulls. They are thick that we must revive the New Deal. So you had things like guaranteed art dismissal. You had things like the PWA being revived. You had things like the Rural Electrification Act of 36 was renewed for 39. You had the Federal Theatre Project, you had the Federal Work Agency, and the Federal Security Agency. And look, for all of the faults of FDR, right? In 1932, unemployment was 22.6%. 1939, unemployment was 11.3%. Unemployment had been cut in half. Mm. The Dow Jones, which was 62 points in 1932, was 150. All right, it's not the 34,131 that we know today, that we know and love, but it was still a recovery. Bank failures, 14,000 in the raw in the so-called roaring 20s. There were 60 in that decade. So Interesting about this one, about the 40 election, and I'm going to talk about it, okay? Is that, first of all, FDR didn't want to run. No. Secondly, it was planned that Henry Wallace, who was the Secretary of the Interior and was very much to the left of FDR, like Huey Longwing, was going to be the nominee and win. And thirdly, the Democrats were forecasted to win. Now, what happened in the 40 convention with the, the dailies in the Chicago delegation led a chant of we want Roosevelt. And it was accepted by a lot of the power brokers that only one person could win it. It was Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah. So FDR runs for a third term because he said it's unfinished work of the New Deal and because the UK, the United States is going to go to war. So let's put the war into context. Woodrow Wilson, as you know, James, did the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. The creative yep. League of Nations, the 14 points of Woodrow Wilson. Uh, the Republican Congress vetoed the League of Nations. America became very isolationist. Uh, by 1939, America had the military the size of Sweden. So hard, hardly a domineering force. So what does Roosevelt do? First of all, they create Lend-Lease, where it was the garden hose now. If your neighbor's house is on fire, give them a garden hose and put it out. So America would, in effect, lend Britain its tanks, lend Britain its military weapons, and Britain would give it back after the war. First of all, how the hell did that get passed with the explanation is beyond me. What, Britain are going to send back the blown-up tanks, are they? Come on. And now, and, 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 and the bullets that they fired from the guns. And the bullets they fired from the gun, they'll relocate them from the fields. I mean, it's... Look... They should have, I mean, look, FDR could not have provided direct military aid to the British, right? That was very unpopular at the time. So he comes up with Lend-Lease, which is basically providing direct military aid to the British. Nothing wrong with that, but it's a good political workaround because uh, the Congress had ruled that basically we couldn't provide financial aid to the British. No. No, no, so we're doing we. We're not we. They, they couldn't provide financial aid to the British. They could, provide, they could not provide financial aid to us. Bloody Americans. Yeah. Getting everywhere, though. They're coming to our podcast. They're taking over. <laughs> Honestly, next I'll be putting my southern accent on it if I'm not careful. But no, 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 no. Anyway, 
that wasn't my best southern accent. I will concede. I've done. I've done better. I've done better southern accents than that. My southern American accent. Anyway, so what does FDR do? First, I mean, it was famous in the forty election. He said, "I will promise you, mothers and fathers, that none of your sons will ever have to serve in a war abroad unless we are attacked." So, what does he do? Well, let's just <laughs> the Japanese Empire. Was of course they wanted to expand into the Pacific, so FDR decides to cut off oil exports to the Japanese, steel exports to the Japanese. Uh, what do the Japanese require for their economy? Oil and steel. <laughs> so, between 1941, America runs direct military raids on the Japanese, and then December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor happened, where. The Japanese had attacked the Hawaii military base called Pearl Harbor, and it led to World War II. Basically, that gave Franklin Roosevelt the excuse to get into the war. Yeah. Now, let's look at some of the domestic controls, shall we? Yeah. Same principle, James, as the New Deal. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. So, the government's increased uh, controls over rationing, such as fuel, sugar, rubber, and scrap metal. Um, but... Um, I mean, and, it, and I mean, the public were all together in this. The public all, public all did it. Obviously, there were some black markets, but I mean, there was a the support. The support was there through the scrap metal was... collections that happened every week, and people rushed to give the army tanks, air force planes, and navy ships. They rushed to build them and everything. There was, there was a sense of community in in America. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think a lot of the rationing was effective, but also because it's that feeling when when we're at war. When our own people at war, of course, will rally round. But you know, you had business controls, you had Chrysler, you had GM that were making yeah. cars, we're now making tanks. You know, mm. FDR had basically provided businesses with billions of dollars to make stuff. And I mean, yeah. ultimately, what ended the depression was the war. The New Deal had healed, had stitched the wound up and had put the plaster on the wound most effectively, but the war healed it. Why? Because the only time an American has ever reached full employment was the Second World War. Because what happened? You had unions were able to lobby for effective pay, and if businesses couldn't pay it, the federal government provided them the money to pay it. You had yep. mothers going to work and the children being taken care of. You had the elderly being completely taken care of with uh, Social Security, which was finally now fully enacted. And the war, and you had workers between 40 and 50 being paid in today's terms 20 30 40 50 dollars an hour yeah because the federal government in effect introduced wage supplements so you know they could pay workers these very generous wages in return the government would basically give them money to provide it yeah Genius. i mean they also had they, they, they also had the um in the act of 1943 gave the power to take over war factories or industries if there's a risk of strike as well. I mean, that was interesting because the, that basically undermined the National Labor Relations Board, which is a huge exactly. part of the deal. But in times of war, and I'm, by the way, speaking to someone who has a 100% union-supporting affection for the union movement, you have to. In wartime, yeah. a, lot of the pro a lot of the ideological purity of left and right are irrelevant, right? In wartime, you are going to have to spend an obscene quantity of money to basically win the war. 
You're going to have to provide money to businesses. You're going to provide money yeah. to the workers. You're going to have to do a lot of the socialist ideas that are very good, right? But you're also going to have to um, cut down strikes. You're also going to have to provide everybody a job. You're also going to have to trust businesses, not just the government. You're also going to have to bring enterprise in rather than just unions. You're going to have, it's ultimately a very uniting force politically because you're forced to do left and right ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the workforce, 7 million people got jobs, right? Mm. Unemployment in America was a million by 44. I mean, for heaven's sake, they couldn't make it zero. Oh, they should have just given it to the good people of South Carolina. I'm sure they would have rigged the statistics brilliantly. <laughs> zero votes. And then, but then, I mean, opportunities yeah. increased during World War II as well. I mean, well, discrimination. I, I never said... Discrimination Sorry. ended in the north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. discrimination ended in the north. Yeah, uh, Women was a exec, executive order as well that he Seven, put in, uh, banning discrimination in the army as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was an interesting part of the World War II had led the fight for civil rights because you had black and white soldiers serving together in the military fighting for freedom abroad, yet they couldn't have freedom at home. Yeah. So, but, you know, again, equal pay. Eleanor Roosevelt had led that in 1943, yeah. where wartime industries were forced to pay women the same, mainly because women were working and the men were fighting. You had, yeah. for example, the electronic industry. You had electric electricity being given to all of America. War, I mean, you know, the war in the war, they spent 320 billion dollars on the war, which was five times more than the New Deal. Yeah, I mean, they spent they spent so much money on this war that it's kind of impossible for them. But it was kind of, it was, I mean, I would call the good. war technically a, fr- a third new deal, really. The amount of legislation that got put yeah. through, the amount of employment that uh, happened, the amount of uh, equal pay, the amount of equal rights, the amount of all, all the things that was aimed for in the new deal happened in yeah, World exactly. War Two. Well, like I said, you couldn't have, you couldn't have the new deal without the war. Everyone's people say, you know, the, the new deal was irrelevant. It was the war that fixed it. No, 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 no. The new deal had given America the economic strength to fight the war. Yes. Right? That's just a fact. America, by 1940, had more than exceeded the 1928 economy, right? America had more people in work. America had more people with a decent quality of life because of the New Deal. And, you know, I know Franklin Roosevelt didn't want to do the New Deal whilst he was in the war, but I think he should have continued with the New Deal to an extent. Yeah. He should have marketed some wartime reforms. I mean, okay, he did do it with the GI Bill of Rights. I mean, I mean, we all forget how big that was. But the idea, you can provide millions of working class people with a free university and free college education, yeah. it changed everything. That created the middle class. That, mm. when you create a generation of working class educated men who can get high-skilled jobs, and therefore high-paying jobs, you bring them into the middle class. You know what I'm talking about, like education being so important? That's why. Do you yeah. know what I mean? The GI Bill of Rights is absolutely massive. Um, yeah. Yeah, you had the Four Freedoms, you had the Arsenal Democracy speech in the 40 Convention. Um, mm. But equally, you had, did have Republicans working. You had the, like, Arthur Vandenberg, Republican senator, who had done more to destroy the New Deal gave a speech about, quote, uh, partisanship should stop at the water's edge, which is my, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, during the war, I mean, all the people who, who were 
who would be quite happy to you know stab FDR in the back just to get just to get into the presidency and just get there, uh, just to get their policies through. I mean, all went to him, all, all sided with him. I mean, and that, that and that. I didn't and see the Supreme Court ruling that taking over big businesses was unconstitutional. Didn't see the, didn't see the Supreme Court ruling that helping the poor <laughs> was unconstitutional because we we're in wartime. Yes, exactly. There was no Supreme Court. The Supreme Court went on holiday for four years. Yeah, they went, we're having a war. Right, right. We're going, we're going. It's all right. It's all right, Franklin. We're going now. But you had, you know, you had Wendell Wilkie, who was a former Democrat uh, turned Republican party. He ran against FDR in 1940. Yeah who worked with FDR during the war. You had a lot yeah. of Republicans working with the Democrats because it was a wartime, because you wanted to win the war. So, yeah. you know, by the time we get to 44, Thomas Dewey, who was a bit of a conservative governor of New York, was running against Franklin, and everybody knew it. <laughs> Dewey was asked privately, who do you think will win? And he said, oh, Roosevelt. <laughs> he said, how do you <laughs> defeat a president in wartime? You can't, it's impossible, <laughs> right? I mean, Roosevelt had got Harry Truman as the VP, not Henry Wallace, because he wanted to... I don't understand why, but I think mainly because he thought Truman could win in 48, he couldn't. Mm. But, you know, let's not forget, Roosevelt won another landslide. You know, 36, 40, uh, 1, 2, 3, 7, 8, 9, f- 39 of the 48 states, Roosevelt won them in 40 against Wendell Wilkie. I remember 1940 was huge because Roosevelt was the first president not to do the two-term tradition. Yeah. And everyone everyone goes, you mean the man who has packed the Supreme Court, who's stuck us with government programs, now wants to get rid of the last tradition in America of two terms. Good Lord, man. You know, he lost, what was it, about 5% of the vote or something, you know. But he still won a landslide. You know, yeah. winning 449 of the 581 electoral votes is an absolute convincing majority. It's a landslide, right? And remember, Wendell Wilkie was a moderate. He was nothing like Alf Landon or Herbert Hoover. He was left of center, whilst Roosevelt was left wing. But, you know, any time that the Roosevelt... One second, let me put another clip on. Because any time uh, a Republican would say, um, you know, we believe in the New Deal or we believe in uh, ideas created by Franklin Roosevelt... Roosevelt would always have a very good line to attack them on that. Yes, I love how it saved my clip. The Republicans said, let us take over. He would say something like this. We believe in social security. We believe in work for the unemployed. We believe in saving homes. Cross our hearts and hope to die. We believe in all these things. But we do not like the way the present administration is doing them. Just turn them over to us. We will do all of them. We will do more of them. We will do them better. And most important of all, the doing of them will not cost anybody anything. Yep. I mean, that was his way of just taking the mick out of the Republicans. Yeah. Because the Republicans were the party of Hoover. They were the party of the Great Depression. And, you know, 32 to 72, there was a lib- 32 to about 81, there was a liberal consensus in America. 
the mm. government was mother, fa- mother and father. The government had to help the poor, cradle the hurt, lift the weak and the meek. You know, I could pull that Lyndon Johnson clip where he goes, you know, help the weak and the meek and lift them up and give them an education where they can train their own way rather than having to live off the bounty of our generosity. You know, yeah. obviously Ronald Reagan overturned that with his diatribe of utter nonsense what is it that you know what was it in this present crisis government is not the solution to our problems government is the problem yeah. uh, which government programs do you think are bad with governor reagan well i uh well i don't know i i have to uh think about that honestly cretin absolute cre- i mean i admire ronnie reagan on domestic on foreign affairs massively but on domestic affairs what went through his brain cells thinking that selling off food stamps, uh, food stamps is our equivalent to food banks where, you know, you get free food. He believed privatising that was a good idea, which didn't pass through Congress. He believed in privatising Medicare, which didn't pass through Congress. He believed in privatising education. He believed Ronald Reagan wanted to abolish the Department of Education. How thick! Do you have to be <laughs> to wanting to believe that privatizing the DFE is a good idea? What clown he was. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, FDR won a fourth term. A fourth term. Yes, you know, he won, what was it? Four, six, eight, 10, 12. So he won 36 of the 48 states. He won 432 of the 501 electoral votes. Republicans won 99. You know, if we look at, for example, the Congress, and I know I was bragging before about 36. So the Democrats won 75 senators in 1938. They won 69 because of the recession. They won 696 in 38. They won 66 in 1940. Then they won 57 in 42. And then they won 57 again in 44. But you know what? The Republicans are still on 38. Can you go back to that map, Doug, please? Uh, yeah. There you go. There's an issue with that number now. Because 432 plus 99 doesn't equal 532. 531. Yeah. But isn't it? No. That's not right. It is right. Is it? Three electoral votes in Alaska, four electoral votes in Hawaii, 531 plus 7, 538. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah, yeah. Alaska, Alaska and Hawaii are not in the union. Oh, yeah, they? that's it. Yeah, that's why, yeah. Okay, they are joined until 1960. Um, but he won a fourth term, and when he won the fourth term, as the Operation Market Garden occurred, as D-Day was beginning to occur, and the war was finally looking over, he talked about free healthcare, free education, yeah. full employment. The old New Deal was being banged again, and Harry Truman revived it with the Fair Deal, but that was gutted. Um, a lot of that vision in the fourth, the fifth to fourth term was put on hold as it were for 20 years. Because hmm. then when LBJ came along with the Great Society, yeah. which we'll come on to yeah. later with Lyndon, because we're going to put Truman, Eisenhower and Kennedy into one episode and put Lyndon into one episode. That'll be interesting. Yeah. But look at it from that perspective. The that even the great the new deal was basically not touched for 20 years it was not expanded really uh, between truman eisenhower and kennedy but it wasn't touched yeah because why 
Any president wants to remove full employment in terms of the 1920s will lose every election. So let us now conclude, having gone through the presidency. I will concede it's not our most informative episode, but you try researching on something that happened 100 years ago and then come up with a two-hour dissertation. <laughs> but he is America's greatest president, in my view. In my view. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, there were amazing presidents like Reagan, like uh, Clinton, like Johnson, but Roosevelt's the best of them all. I, I'd give him probably yeah. nine point eight on domestic policy and nine point three on foreign policy. Look, there were failures of the FDR administration. Okay, yeah, interning Japanese citizens in internment camps—not a good idea by any stretch mm-hmm. of imagination. Packing the Supreme Court of the United States with 15 justices. Not a good idea. Not pursuing some of the Huey Long reforms earlier with Social Security. Not a good idea. But unemployment, 12 million, then 1 million. 15 million American citizens in three years have gotten Social Security checks. Mm -hmm. People were being put back to work very quickly. You had the Federal Education Administration. You had the FHA, which is still around to this very day. You had the Tennessee Valley Authority, which brought electricity to the southern homes and purified the waters. You had the Soil Conservation Agency, which ended ocean dumping, which purified the air. You had all these brilliant ideas, and he won the war. Yeah. America won World War II. So, for all... The drawbacks, and there weren't many, there were a few. I would say that his that was his victories, and those were his defeats. For the good yeah. listeners, the the victories hand is at the top of the screen of my laptop, and the vict- and the defeats hand is at the bottom of the laptop. A massive chasm of victories for Franklin. Yeah. What do you think? I think I, I totally agree. I think. I think the victories outweigh the defeats. Yeah. I think I think he could have been. He has made mistakes with the, as you said, Japanese internment camps. Just and you've also had uh, the packing of the Supreme Court again. N- not a good idea. I mean, you could say you could say some of the alphabet agencies could have been improved upon, especially the way the way he implemented them, such as the uh, CCC that could have been implemented better. Yeah. Really? Um, but I think, but I think in general, the most transformation. Is, He's, what what did he save? He saved so many livelihoods in America. He America. I mean, it's just he, he saved he, yeah, he saved the United States, and I think and I think people I don't think people are paying him that enough respect for that. I think FDR is probably the most revered Democrat president of all of them. I think. Yes, I'm not, I, 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 FDR is well known mainly because for what he said. So let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But yeah. he is the most well-known. And yeah. if you compare Franklin Roosevelt to some of the more pathetic Democrats like Barack Obama or, you know, these type of people, moderate sellouts who would not have been bold as Roosevelt, and you look at Democrats to other presidents like George W. Bush, yeah, Mr. Bush, Mr. Bush, I will never... I will never ever refer to him as President Bush because I do not believe you can win, you can fraud two elections in a row and say you are the president, but if you look at 
what did he do? He created a new political consensus that, yeah. that Roosevelt abided by, that Truman did, that Eisenhower did, that Kennedy did, that Johnson did, that Nixon did, that Ford did, that Carter abided by. If you create consensus that eight other presidents have to abide by, yeah. you've done something. I mean, look, technically, if we want to be bolder, some of his policies are still there. Right, you know, a Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Trump. If you create policies that fourteen presidents now have to abide by, so federal housing that's still here, the Tennessee Valley Authority is there, but in a different name, that's still pretty much still there. You know, social security that's still there. If you create policies that fourteen different presidents have to abide by, not touch, or not scrap, or not hinder with, you've done something amazing. Yeah. Right. You have. I think he has. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at the Truman, uh, Eisenhower, and Kennedy era. That's going to be an hour and a half focusing on the Harry Truman presence. Next week. Oh. Well, actually, it could be next week. Depends, because we're going to do a specials on the local. We're going to do specials on the locals next Friday. Yeah. Because it's local election day next Friday. So next Thursday is polling day. Uh, by the way, I know this is not a purpose of political advertising, but if you are um, eligible to vote in the locals, may I suggest that you do not vote for a government that lies, that's wasting money on PPE fraud, that's wasting money on COVID test and trace, they're wasting money on rule of six, that destroyed the housing market, that's only destroying our health service. And the only option is a vote for the Labour Party. Now, now that's over, I can now focus on for the new... Oh, the party political on the Labour Party. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm not sponsored to say that. That is me exercising my freedom of conscience to say you must vote for the Labour Party. And I know most of the people who listen to this podcast, and if you do not vote for the Labour Party, I'll have to have stern words with you. Now, moving on. Moving on. Um, we're going to probably, yeah, we'll do a local election special on Friday. And then on Sunday, we're going to do the Truman uh, Eisenhower Kennedy episode. Then yep. next Sunday, sorry, next Saturday, that'll be Saturday, because it'll be Friday, Saturday, we're going to do back-to-back episodes. Then we're going to have next Saturday, so not the, not the Saturday coming, the Saturday after, so two weeks today. We're then going to do an episode on British politics. I haven't decided yet what we're going to do. Might look at a key era of British politics, maybe the Blair years, maybe the Thatcher years, maybe Attlee years, don't know. Then the week after that, so three weeks from today, we're then going to look at Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. So that's the plan from now till about third week of May for the good listeners. So yeah, we're going to do the Kennedy, we're going to look at three presidents. We've got locals on Friday, then we've got an episode on Saturday coming out, then we're waiting a whole week till next Saturday and then going forth. Right, it is now 6.26. We're going to close off the podcast. Uh, We've done an hour and 26 minutes Thank God. That's about half of what we did at episode two and four, James, when we were doing two hours and 50 minutes. That's an hour and 26. We kept it a reasonable time this week. Well, we did two hours and 50 minutes once. Episode four. I think it was episode four, episode two. It was one of the two episodes. We went on for two hours and 50 minutes. That was at the start when me, you and Michael were dominating. We all went surrounded each other. Uh, but this episode has been very professional, 86 minutes long. I'm going to download it and it'll be uploaded on it on Spotify probably by about 6.50 tonight, most likely. Okay. Right. Until next Friday, where... Oh, God, how do I do this? Um, oh, I've forgotten how to get back into normal screen. 
Stop sharing. Stop sharing, man. Thank you very much. So, yeah, until next Friday, uh, we'll probably record, James, about 5 o'clock. Is that okay? Yeah. Because now Ramazan's over. We can do earlier broadcasts. Uh, Ramazan will be over tomorrow. Uh, so until next Friday, good day, listeners. Good day.